Welcome to The Logbook. I'm your host, Lucas Weekly. This episode is supported by you, the listeners, through Patreon. Head over to thelogbookpodcast.com for more information. This time we hear from two women who will share a few stories about writing books about air parks in the U.S. and how they were both challenged to fly every day for a full month. When I learned to fly 30 years ago, I was lucky I met some people who lived on a little air park up in Maryland, and I lived in Maryland, close to Washington, D.C., and they said, when you get this airplane sorted out and you start flying it, come and visit us. We're moving to paradise. I said, well, where is Paradise, Maryland? I've lived here for years. And they said, oh, no, no, no. It's called Kentmore, Maryland. And it is an air park on the eastern shore of Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay. I said, what is an air park? And they said, it's a place where you live with your airplane. Now, I was clueless. I barely knew what an airplane was and what made it work. But sure enough, I had a Cessna 140 that somebody was putting back together for me. And when that was done, I flew it across the Chesapeake Bay. And I landed on this grass strip. And I visited these people. And I bought a house (laughs) almost immediately. There was one house for sale, and I bought it because I'd never seen anything like it. It was amazing to me that people were in and out of one another's houses helping. You know, they'd go in to borrow a cup of sugar, but they also went in to say, hey, my mag is not turning up, or do you have a little spare avgas because I don't have enough to fly my cub or whatever. It was a very small air park. There were about 10 homes, and it's still there. It was one of the first ones. It's called Kentmore. So um, I lived there for about seven or eight years. I worked for the federal government in Washington, D.C., and right after I retired, I said, I think I'm going to write a book about air parks. And immediately after having that thought, I get a phone call from a man up in New Jersey, and he said, I'd like to come down and interview you because you're the manager of your air park. I'm writing a book about air parks. It's like, oh, no, that was my idea. So he came down. He was a great guy. His name was Peter, still is, Peter Tuber, German guy. His language skills in English were not very good. His writing skills were non-existent. He had a full-time job, a wife and two children. But he had this dream when he moved from Germany to the U.S. to live on an air park. And he'd talk to people about air parks, and nobody knew where they were. There was no directory telling people how to find air parks. So... Um, He came up with the concept, and he wanted to do self-publishing, but he really didn't have time to write it. So we struck up a partnership, and for three months, I flew from Maine to Florida and stopped at a bunch of little air parks and interviewed people and took an aerial photo, and I think that was all. I have to refresh my memory, but I think just took an aerial photo of each one. Right, and then wrote a little narrative story about the people that lived there, and then had a little grid that said how long the runway was, was it grass or paved, how many houses, how far to the nearest store, that sort of thing. So I say that was my favorite flight. It was a series of flights. It was about three months of one after another after another, and it was absolutely wonderful. I met tons of people that I would never have met any other way. I did it in... I guess I did it in this piggy, the Luscombe, 95. Yep, I did it in the Luscombe, and um, I went to places where I already knew people, and I went to places where I didn't know people, 
and I wasn't being paid. The idea was I would get something out of the sale of the books if they ever sold, but that we were both just pitching in to do this. And so if I knew somebody in Virginia, I called them up and said, I'm going to be at an airport near you. Can I stay over? So I tried to keep my costs down that way. And I did get reimbursed out of the book sales for the gas and oil, I think. I will say that I saw, let me see, this book, I think, says there were 60 air parks in this one. And then we did a series, a sequel for the West Coast. But I do remember coming back to Kentmore and saying, as I landed, that Kentmore had an east-west strip. And you approach the bay, the preferred runway was landing to the west. And I got back at just before sunset, and I said, oh, my gosh. Went all up and down the eastern seaboard. I never saw anything as pretty as this. That was... Without a doubt, it was like, this is where I belong. Of course, the next year I moved to Leeward Air Ranch, but that's another story. Um, I never had any bad issues. Um, I did maintenance along the way, so I'd pick my stops so that I could take care of the maintenance things. Um, I think the, the most frustrating thing on the trip was North Carolina. I don't remember how many strips there were, five or so, I think, that that I wanted to get into, and two of them were up in the mountains. One was called Tusquiddy, and the other was called um, Mountain Air. And the Luscombe just, it could not do it. It just couldn't get up there because I had no good instruments. I didn't have an instrument rating, and the clouds were always hanging right over the top of the mountain. So going south, I tried to stop, couldn't get into the two strips that I wanted to see, and coming north. So those were the only two that we had to rely on what the developer had to offer for a picture. I think the scariest place that I ever was was in the Atlanta area, and I'll have to look and see what the name of that strip was. I should remember. It was north of, north of Atlanta, Mathis Airport. <laughs> and it was a public use airstrip. It was on the top of a hill. I thought it was a mountain because I lived on the eastern shore of Maryland, and that was flat. But it was public use, and there was some sort of hangar complex off the, the runway was right at the top. Down kind of a curvy road, there was a hangar with a mechanic in it and gas. And then further down, sprawled along the edge of the mountain, was the homes. So it was an air park. But when I approached, I didn't know that it was a one-way in, one-way out. I don't know why I didn't ever read that in my advanced planning, but I didn't. And so I came in, and the wind was blowing, and I picked the way that the windsock said to go, and I went, I just blew right on off the end of the runway, and it's like, they can't be serious. I mean, you can't possibly stop. So I turned around, and I went around the pattern again, and I came back, and I got lined up on that runway, and I just went right on off the end. And the Luscombe is a pretty slow, low stall speed airplane. I couldn't get it down. I went around three times. Somebody got on the radio then and said, whoever is in that Luscombe trying to land, you have to turn around and land the other way because you have to land uphill. And I said, but the wind is screaming down the runway. And they said, it's the only way you're ever going to stop. Haven't you figured that out yet after three tries? So I came around and I landed downwind, uphill. I came to a stop right in front of where I was supposed to stop. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so that, that was not fun. But never had any mechanicals, never really had any mishaps. Spent an extra day in Ocala, of all places, because I had to have, um, what did I need? I needed an oil change, and then they found something about a tire, and I had to have a tire changed, and they didn't have my size. And so 
they treated me really nicely. And, and in Ocala, I didn't know anybody. So it was one of the few places where I had to stay in a hotel and eat food and <laughs> I was sort of stuck. But it was fun. When I got back home, I was married at the time, and my husband was much more of a, not a professional pilot, but thought of himself more that way. He liked paved runways, he liked big airplanes, he likes instruments and commercial, blah, blah, blah. I like the people. I don't really care whether it's grass or paved. I think grass is prettier to look at. But So when I got home, he said, well, what did you get out of this trip? And I said... I loved everything about it. I'd like to do it again, that sort of thing. Well, a year or so later, we both turned up with mothers passing away, fathers on their own, both living in Florida. We're spending all our time running back and forth. Can't get our airplane out of either of our airplanes out of our hangar in Maryland because it was always either snowing or the grass strip was too wet because it was right on the Chesapeake Bay and had a terrible low water table. And so we decided to move to Florida. And where do you think we came but Leeward Air Ranch? Because even though it was grass and he preferred paved, he had heard of Leeward Air Ranch and he decided that that was the place to be. So that's how I got here. After the initial sales of the first book, our storyteller's publishing partner decided to make a second one, adding onto the list of air parks our storyteller had already visited. And we did California around to Texas and that one was not nearly as much fun <laughs> as that one. Then my now ex-husband, but then husband, said, well, we need to do this in the 182, and we need to, you know, write off everything and get a new engine out of it. And So it was not, it was, this was a labor of love. This was so much fun, and I visited lots of people that I knew and made a lot of new friends. The second one was not as much fun, but the flying was very, very different. You know, it was California, it was high-altitude stuff that I'm not used to. Um, I saw places I probably would never have seen. And again, wherever I knew people, I tried to target seeing them. So we did California, Texas, New Mexico, I don't remember, five, five states, I don't remember what else. And then um, the next one was going to be up in the Pacific Northwest. By then, my ex and I were splitting up, and, you know, that was fine. I was going to go do that. And then the publisher said... Can't do it, going through a divorce, got expenses, got, can't do it, can't put any more money in it. So that was the end of it. So the first two got published, and then that's it. We never went and did the third book. And, and I've thought about it for years. I've thought, it is my passion. I love air park living. I think, you know, I do air park real estate because I want people to live on air parks. I think it's just an awesome way to live. But now it's all internet stuff, and people can... Google whatever they want. They don't need this. The idea at the time was people didn't know where these were. And if they found out about them, they didn't know what they were. So you would sit in your armchair in front of your fireplace with your drink in hand and you'd look at the state and you'd pick out three or four that you liked the best. And then you'd get in your airplane and you'd fly there and look at them. And people, I meet people all the time who tell me, I have your book from 20 years ago. I read that. I mean, it's just, it is funny. People go, that's you? Really? <laughs> but people did use it back in the day. Now there are, you know, tons of ways to find air parks, so. Jumping closer to present day, our next storyteller is going to talk about a time when they were both challenged to do something they had never even dreamed of before. When I first moved here, we met Willie Ropp, and he was probably 88 then, and he um, was a veteran pilot, 
and we celebrated his 90th birthday, and the Wingnuts, who are the lady pilots here, did flybys so um, to celebrate his birthday. And then Judy and I would take him out for breakfast or lunch, and he said, you know, you girls like to fly. Um, why don't you try what I did? I, one, one month, I flew every day for the entire month. And Judy and I thought, yeah, we can do that, no problem. So we picked January to do that. And um, we had decided ahead of time if we couldn't make every day a flight because of weather or something like that, if we flew twice in the day, we could bank that day for a day when it was really bad weather or mechanically something wrong with our airplane. So we each, you know, started flying on the 1st of January all the way through the 31st. She flew every single day. She was over at Love's Landing. And she had an instrument-rated airplane. So the day that I couldn't fly, there was one day I couldn't fly, Leeward was probably one mile and 400 overcast the entire day. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to fly, so I was out polishing my airplane, which I do quite often, and I hear a plane go over, and I thought, oh, geez, that must be Judy, and she got to fly today. So about an hour later, I called, and I said, I heard you go over. And she said, no, I didn't fly over. She said, but I did get to fly today because she had an IFR-rated airplane, instrument-rated airplane, and she went up that day, even though she just went around the pattern, didn't put the gear down or anything, just went around or gear up. She went around and then just landed so she could say she flew that day. But I had a couple of different instances. One time I went up and it was so cold that um, my oil temperature never warmed up. So it was below freezing. And I kept looking at my oil temperature gauge and it never moved from zero. And I'm like, okay, I think I should be headed back now. So I did come back and it, it just was because it was so cold. It just never warmed up because it had to warm up and then come, you know, just didn't warm up. So I landed then. And then another time it was really cold and it was so bumpy. It was very windy. And I thought, I'm going to get off right now before it gets too windy. And I reached over and I looked and my cabin heater and my um, uh, mixture are right together. So I leaned over. I was going to pull the heater on. I pulled the mixture. So the engine stopped. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And so then I just pushed the mixture back in, but that got my heart going. <laughs> and um, just some other things while I was on final and there was a hawk that flew right in front of me. I missed him, but I thought I was going to hit that. But the challenges of trying to fly every day were more than I even imagined. Um, I would have an appointment in the afternoon and if I couldn't fly in the morning, of course, I knew, oh, maybe I can fly in the afternoon. So I changed that appointment or I wouldn't schedule anything just so I could fly every single day. And sometimes there were wingnut flights. So it would, you know, that would be our flight for the day, a wingnut flight. And um, just if I'd be going somewhere else, I could count that as a flight. I didn't just go up and fly and land. Well, uh, one time Judy and I did fly down to um, Fort Pierce for a grasshopper meeting. And they were burning sugarcane. I don't know, to get rid of it, I guess. I'm not sure. But it was so smoky that you just couldn't see. And the wind was coming out of the east, so it was blowing over Lake Okeechobee. And I had first moved down here, so I really didn't know anything about Lake Okeechobee. So she's in her Luscombe. 
I'm in my silver Cessna and we're flying over Lake Okeechobee and I said can you see anything and she said no can you and I said no so we just kept on going but then when I got back I found out that there were alligators and crocodiles in Lake Okeechobee and we just went right on across now coming back we went south around the lake but that was one experience I would fly, sometimes I'd fly over Love's Landing just to see if Judy was out yet or not. And of course her hangar door was open so I knew she was out flying too. Anyways, that, that was my experience and it was, it was fun but I don't want to ever do it again. It's just too, it's too hard to try to get all those flights in. You've been listening to Judy Betts and Connie McConnell. Judy, who you listened to first, currently lives at Love's Landing and still continues spreading her love for air park living today by selling properties in them. Judy is an air park realtor, and you can check out more about her business at Aviation Realty and More LLC. So to find it online, it's Aviation Realty, all one word, A-N-D, more.com. Connie lives at Leeward Air Ranch and is the co-chairman of their social committee, where she organizes many of the monthly events that Leeward hosts. Of course, they both still fly today, but like Connie said, they won't be flying every day for 31 days straight anymore. More information and pictures related to the story can be found in the article at thelogbookpodcast.com. Special thanks goes out to Megan Brock, our recording and interviewing assistant. This episode was supported directly by your donations. If you enjoy the show, you can support its production by becoming a patron. Through Patreon, you set a donation level that is given every time a new episode is released, and you can always set a monthly limit so you don't go over your budget. Depending on the amount donated, you are granted access to different rewards that are as simple as hearing a sneak preview to the next episode, all the way up to exclusive content that didn't make it into the show. Any amount is helpful, and the more that's donated, the more the show can improve. Head over to our website, thelogbookpodcast.com, and click on the Patreon banner at the side of the page to start supporting. If you have a story about anything in aviation, we would love to hear it, and it may even become an episode of The Logbook. You can send us an email by using the contact page on our website. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in The Logbook.